Go ahead and open to 1 Timothy chapter 5 is where we'll be today. Does uh, your pastor's heart good to hear you sing? I enjoy hearing you, and especially this morning, as I hear you sing the words, Speak, O Lord, and renew our minds. Help us grasp the heights of your plans for us. Truths unchanged from the dawn of time that will echo down through eternity. I don't know how much you think about the words you're singing, but that is quite the the lyrics there of trusting in the word of God that he'll continue to do what he's been doing forever, using his word to help us to understand who he is and to change us and to work in us. And so hopefully that will happen this morning. That's quite a challenge to me. Uh, that's what helps me to study, is knowing that now is the time that God speaks to us through his word in the sermon. And so I trust that he'll do that again this morning. First uh, Timothy chapter 5, we're going to do 16 verses this morning. So verses 1 through uh, 16, Paul is still instructing Timothy here, but he also starts to use some uh, plural words, which show us that he's also speaking to the church now as a whole. I will warn you that this morning, as we get to the topics that we're going to get to, I would dare say many of us, as we see what we're going to talk about, will tune out. I want to warn you not to do that. Uh, the first couple of verses here, as you'll see, talk about a church that is uh, multi-generational and how to minister to a church that has people young and old in it, which is what we are, what we desire to continue to be. But then in the, uh, verses 3 through 16, and this is where I'm afraid many of us will tune out, is there's a lot of verses here on how the churches deal with widows in the church. And so many of you might say, this doesn't apply to my life. Well, I want you to know that if you're a member in this church, it very much applies to your life because we have widows in our church. Uh, widows who we need to care for. But also, I would dare say, all of us have widows in our family. And you'll see what it says this morning to us as church, but also as family members. And so uh, I hope that we see it, that we learn from it, and that we give God glory in it this morning. So let's, let's read these uh, 16 verses, follow along with me as we do that, and then we'll do our best to learn what it's telling us. It says, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, 
and has devoted herself to every good work, but refused to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened, so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Looking at verses 1 and 2, first, we see Paul kind of exhorting Timothy here of how to handle, like I said, uh, people of different, different ages. And so first he says here, he says, Do not rebuke older men, but encourage him as you would a father. Now, you have to remember that when Paul wrote this, what Paul did not do is Paul did not put chapter 1, verse 1, and keep writing that way. This was a letter, and so we don't really have a break. There, there, it doesn't go from chapter 4 to chapter 5. This was added after. And so Paul has been telling Timothy to exhort the church, tell them what they need to be doing, challenge them in these things. All right, so we, we see this command of Timothy to be doing this, but then we have here a way to do that well with different people in the church. Not everybody's going to be treated the exact same way. Not everybody's going to be handled the exact same way. You probably understand that in your own life. There's certain people you talk to certain ways, others you talk to different, some you can joke with, some you would never dare to joke with. Right? There's just different ways that we handle people. And so Paul is telling Timothy here to do that. And he first starts with older men. You remember the big thing that was against Timothy in this church, if you recall, was his age. They said There were people saying he was too young. And we talked about that last week. And so Paul tells Timothy here to treat the older men as fathers. He's not saying don't correct them. They still need to be corrected at times and taught the Bible and Scripture and what it says. Yet he is warning Timothy here saying, do this though with gentleness and do this with great respect and care. And he says, the way that you should view the older men in your church is you view them as fathers. And this is a big deal because he's telling Timothy basically, you need to view all the older men in the church as if they have loved you and cared for you your whole life. I don't know your relationship with your father, but Paul's assuming a good relationship, right? And he's saying, view them as a, a good father to you and love them and care for them in that way. And so treat them with great respect. Still tell them what they need to hear, but do it well. Some of you maybe are at this stage in your life where things are starting to transition with your family, where your parents are ones that you always went to, you looked for them for strength, but now they don't seem to have that strength anymore. And you're the one who has to have strength. And you're the one who's having to go to your dad and say, Dad, you can't mow the grass anymore. And your dad looks at you like, what? Be quiet. You're like, no, Dad, you can't mow the grass anymore. Well, you got to do that in a loving way, don't you? At least you should. You wouldn't say, Dad, you're such a moron. Come on. You don't treat them that way. You do it lovingly and caring because they have cared for you your whole life. And now you're doing your best to care for them, even oftentimes when they look at you and think, I don't need your care. I got it. But you're saying, oh, no, 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 you don't. And so you got to do it with great respect. And that's what Paul is telling Timothy here is handle the older men in the church 
in this way. Love them and care for them and have respect for them. Now he says something different though about the young men. He says younger men treat them as brothers. Now I don't know if you have siblings, I don't know if you have brothers, but I want you to think about how you treat your brothers. It's much different than how you treat your dad. Right? It's no problem to look at your brother and say, you are a moron, what are you doing? That's what brothers do. And so it is easier in the life of the church to be able to do that. To look at those who are younger in the church, and you still love them and you still care for them, but you can treat them a little bit differently. You can look at them and you can say, what are you doing? Come on, let's go, get going. Let's, let's go and tackle this thing together, whatever it might be. But you are going to treat them a little differently. Paul continues on then with older women. He says, treat the older women as mothers. Now for Timothy, this had to just be something that really sticks out because we know that in other passages, uh, Timothy's mother and his grandmother were vital in his life. They raised him and loved him and taught, them, taught him the ways of the Lord. And so he loved and cared for his mother greatly. And so and when he hears Paul telling him this, to care for them as you would your mother, Timothy would instantly know what this means. Again, respect, care, and concern. Still dealing with error when it needs to be, but doing it in a way that is very loving, very gracious. And then Paul has some words for Timothy, which is interesting. He says, younger women as sisters again, but he adds something there at the end. It doesn't just say, because with younger men, it was younger men as brothers, and then he moves on. But with younger women, he says, younger women as sisters in all purity. And it's interesting that Paul would put this here. Because we see the importance to which Paul wants Timothy to make sure that he's treating the younger women in the right way. But he's also addressing this idea of purity between him, Timothy, a man, and her, the young woman within the church of whom he might be dealing with. Paul knows that sexual sin is always creeping around the corner and he wants Timothy to be very careful with this. So he's saying, Timothy, I need you to love them as sisters, but to remember that sin is always seeking. Maybe not in your heart, but it could be in her heart. Maybe not in her heart, but it might creep in in your heart. And so be careful with that and watch that and care for them as if they are your, your sister. Well, then Paul seems to take a jump, doesn't he? When he get to verse 3, we read verses 3 through 16, we see the church's care for the widows. And in verse 3, Paul says something here about widows that I think today would be seen as very unloving. Because he says, honor widows, but he doesn't stop there. He says something that says, who are truly widows. Now, it seems like, what do you mean, Paul? Are there a lot of women in the church who have faked the death of their husband? I mean, do we have to be concerned about that? Do we have to be worried about that? Paul, what are you, what are you getting at here? Well, first I want us to notice the importance that Paul puts in this. We have, six, we have almost 16 verses here of Paul instructing Timothy how to handle widows within the life of the church in this very small letter. He takes a lot of time with this. And we see that in the early life of the church, ministry to widows was very important. You can look at this on your own. But in Acts chapter 6, we've referenced this before. One of the very first problems that came up in this early church was that there were some widows who were not being attended to. They were not being cared for. And it comes to the apostles, and the apostles don't say, leave us alone. No, they deal with it. They say, we can't handle it, but let's find some people to handle this. We need to take care of these women in the life of our church. And so they, they handle it. And you see that God has great care for widows all throughout Scripture. 
And so the church needs to respond to, to meet this need, and Paul understands this, and he wants Timothy to know it as well. We see this still continuing today, the need for care for widows. But in caring for widows, Paul urges Timothy to use some wisdom and some caution. Right Now, I have to preface this as we go on. What Paul isn't doing here is laying out something for us that we can take and just easily apply to the life of the church. We're not able to do that. And we'll, we'll, we'll see that as we, as we continue on. But I also don't think that that was Paul's uh, full intention. The first thing that Paul says to Timothy in concerning of widows, it says, they must be in need. He says, the widows who are truly widows. And what he means in this is you have some who have needs and you have others who don't. Now, most everybody, if you go to them and ask, do you have needs, everybody's going to say, yes, of course. But I think we understand what Paul's getting at here. He's saying, church, you have to determine which widows you need to take in and care for and which widows already have care that they need. Now, you might not think much about this, but this is something that's on my mind a lot because every single week, we get numerous calls into this church of people asking for money all the time. And it is so hard to determine who has a need and who doesn't have a need. And you want to be wise with the money. You want, to, you want to handle it well. Many of you give to our church regularly through offering or online or whatever it might be. And it's our job as the leaders to make sure that that money's being dealt with correctly. And the last thing I want to do is to keep getting conned week in and week out by somebody asking us for money. And we just keep handing it out. Because we know that there's people who do that. And so how do we determine what a real need is? It can be very difficult. And that's what Paul's laying out for us with our widows. Is he's saying, take the time to look into it and to see if they really need help or are there other means by which they can be helped. And it shows the importance of using the money that the church has and using its resources wisely. And so what Paul does is he gives some reasons that maybe the church wouldn't do it. And in verses 4, verses 8, and verses 16, you can look at those. The first thing is Paul says, if the widow has family, the family needs to take care of her. The family needs to be the one to take care of her. And so we see here the call for families and the importance of the family to take care of the one who is widowed within their family. And what it specifically says, Paul mentions children and mentions grandchildren are specifically called out to this task. And we have to understand that in Scripture, it is the duty of the family to take care of the one who's been widowed. We might say, well, why is this? Well, look at verse 4. Paul says something interesting here. He says, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household. And notice what it says. And to make some return to their parents. Well, what is that talking about here? Well, if you're a parent, you know this, that over the years, you have cared for your children. And what I'm coming to realize and what I have learned in my, in my life is that care doesn't seem to stop when they change their address, does it? Even though they move out of your home, you still care for them. The care might change a little bit, but it still, no doubt, involves money at times. <laughs> Many of you grandparents today it involves babysitting. And I'm guessing that doesn't come with payment at the end of it. You babysit all the time. You help your children still in all kinds of ways. 
And what Paul's saying here is he's saying, listen, children and grandchildren, you owe this to them. Let them find a return a little bit in their investment that they have put in you throughout their whole lifetime. They've cared for you, they've loved them, and it is now your duty to care for them. I think a fair question would be this then. Does this mean bad parents do not deserve this help from their children? Or you could word it this way. If you're a wise and prudent kid, should you start making a tally of all that your parents do so that once you return the favor, you can say, I'm out, we're even now. You're on your own, right? Well, no, it's not getting at that, right? It's not the heart of this. But we see the importance here of Paul saying, children and grandchildren, it's your job, not the church's. It's your job to care for your widowed mother or your widowed grandmother. And so what might this look like? Well, I think there's some practical things we definitely could bring out. It probably could look like you bringing your mother into your home. Uh, It might look like you helping your mother care for her house. Maybe she's still able to live in her house, but you have to go and take care of it and help her with some of the, the weekly duties that it takes to run the house. It might mean you as a child or a grandchild helping take care of financial matters for the widowed loved one. This can play out in all kinds of ways, can it? But the fact is, is that it, it needs to be done. And you might be sitting here and listening to me again and it's something that you can kind of push aside, but I want to warn you, look at verse 8. Look at what verse 8 says about this task that we have as family, to care for our family. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith, and worse than an unbeliever. I can't think of any more dangerous thing to read in Scripture. It's already bad enough to hear, oh, you must be an unbeliever. But to hear, you are worse than an unbeliever. And what's he talking about? He's not talking about the murderer who's going out and killing everybody. He's talking about those who are not willing to take care of their family, to take care of their family members. Now, last week, if you remember, we talked about those boring things that God has given us to help us to grow in him. You remember? We talked about it. Prayer can be boring, but God gave us that and told us to do it to help grow in him. Coming to church each week and listening to me preach, I understand, can be very boring. But the fact is, God's called us to come and do this, to hear from him, as you guys just so eloquently sang, speak, O Lord. And this is how God has ordained to speak to us, is through the preaching of his word. We can go on and on with the things that God has given us. Lord's Supper, not that exquisite, is it? But it's what God has given us to help us to remember who he is and what he has done for us. Baptism, not much special in that. Water, plain old water, being dunked under water, coming up wet. Not that exciting. But what God has given us to show us again, this is what I have done in this person's life. I've saved them. They've, they've died with me. They've rose again. These things are boring. Yet God has given us these to grow in him. And here what we see are actions that do not get much fanfare. They do not get much attention but nonetheless are extremely important in the household of God that we take care of our family member. 
And in doing these things, what we are doing is we are living out our faith. We are, we are living out what, what God has called us to, and we're doing it because of what he has done for us. He has rescued us from our sin, and now he says, go and live this way. And so we, we live this way, and we do these things because we love him, and we want to honor him. But sadly, this is what I hear too often. Too often, what I hear from believers is they see helping their parents as My parents are stealing away my time. This is my time. I have my own kids. I have my own family. I have my own career. And what my parents are doing or what my grandparents are doing is they're getting in the way of that. Why are they being so selfish? (laughs) It's interesting how we would just reverse that, wouldn't we? How could they be so selfish as to need all of my time? They're robbing me of my money or whatever it might be. And so what do we do? Too often we leave our widowed family members to fend for themselves. Or we stick them in a home. And we might see them once in a while, but not often enough. I want us to hang on that a little bit this morning of what it says in verse 8. If anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for members of his household, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. I think what we should take from something like that, I don't think we can sit here and rate things that we do for God, but too often we do that. You know, right now we have a team who is on mission, and when they come back, those of you who are family members of them are going to be very excited they are back. But some of you might look at that mission team and think, those are just extraordinary Christians right there. They sacrifice time, they sacrifice money, They sacrificed some of their schedule to go overseas and to do the work of the Lord. Look at how awesome they are. And it is a good thing that they have done. But it's no better than the person who for years has been taking care of their mother because their father died and now mom needs help every day or at least a couple times a week. But be honest with me. We would oftentimes look at those mission people and think, bravo, But we wouldn't do the same for our fellow church member who's cared for their widowed family member. I would dare say this morning what we need is we need the people in our church being faithful to their family as Paul is calling here. That equals healthy churches. That equals faith being lived out. And it's a a tough thing. It's It's a tough task. Some of you right now are living through it. You're living through it. And nobody is noticing, nobody is congratulating you, nobody is giving you all of this applause. But I want to encourage you this morning, because what the Word of God is saying is as you are doing that faithfully, you are living out your faith exactly how you should. Don't do it for fanfare, don't do it for applause. Do it because, first of all, God has called you to that task, and it is a great and honorable task that he has called you to. But secondly, do it because your parents loved you. Your grandparents have loved you. And now you get to love them in this way. Well, Paul goes on. He says, so number one, if they have a family, let their family take care of them. But he also says, make sure that they have proven their faith throughout the years before the church takes them on. We see this in verses 9 through 10. It says, let a widow be enrolled if she's not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband. And then in verse 10, lays all this out. And having a reputation for good works 
She's brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. Now, I don't think we think about this too much today. Because usually what I hear and what I think we feel is that as the church, we have to take care of everybody. Of everybody. We need to meet everybody's needs. And so it might be appalling to you to know, and I'll just tell you the truth, those phone calls that I get for money, a lot of times, we do not have those funds. I am sorry. We, we say that. Because sometimes we don't have those funds, but other times it's, I'm not using those funds for you. You're not a member here. You don't come here. I don't know you. I don't know what you're going to do with this money. I don't even know if you really have a need. I don't know any of this stuff. Now again, as I say that, I feel it and I see it in some of your faces. I cannot believe you would do that. But the Bible is very clear that it gives us limitations of how we should use and handle our money. And here it's not talking about some stranger. It's talking about someone that would be in the church and actually their husband dies. But what you would say to them is, you haven't really proven your faith out throughout the years. I only see you once in a while. You haven't, you don't have the best reputation of good works. I know you're here, but I haven't really seen you washing the feet of the saints and caring and serving. And so I'm sorry to tell you this. You're not qualified for this. I can't put you on the rolls of the church and help you financially right now. I know you're widowed, but you're not meeting the requirements that we see here. Now, again, does that not sound appalling? Does that not sound so appalling to many of us? But we see what God has done in the life of his church is he gives us benefits within the church and there are benefits in our faithfulness to the church. Paul's just pointing out here, he's saying the widow must be one who's proven their faith throughout the years. They're faithful to God. They're faithful to the church. They have a good reputation. They've proven themselves to be hospitable. So again, he's saying the church's money, the church's time needs to be handled well. And you cannot get away from this. If you've, read throughout, if you've read the Bible, if you've read Scripture, you will notice again and again how God tells his people to take care of his people. I can't get away from that. I've tried. I've talked to other pastors within our association because they get the same phone calls. Because what I've noticed is if we say no, they dial the next church. And they just keep going down the line until a church will give them money. And the question often is, what do we do? How do we... How do we say no? And I say, well, what do we see scripturally? And we try to talk about this as pastors. What, is, what does the Bible seem to say? And the Bible so often seems to say to take care of the church family, to be within the church family. Now, our minds have been so taught that what's most important are the people outside of these walls. And they're very important. We want to see them come to know the Lord. We want to share the gospel with them. We do want to help them. But I think what we miss is what God does as he brings us into the family of God is he says, I want you to see how important you guys are in this family is. I love you and I'm gonna take care of my children and this is how. And as a church, we are called to do this. But again, there are limitations there. I don't want this to seem cold. Instead, what I want it to see is an absolute loving God who loves his children that he has adopted into his family. Think about how foolish it would be. It'd be so foolish, and you would say it would be so unloving 
If you got adopted into a family, you never had parents, you finally get adopted into this family, and they never once give you anything to eat. They keep giving it to the kids down at the shelter. Would you think, my mom and dad are so loving? Or would you think, could you put me back in the shelter? Put me back there so I can get some food then. I thought you adopted me. I thought I'm your own now. I thought, I thought you cared for me, but yet you're not caring for me. You're, you're caring for others. Well, what about, what was so special then about adopting me? The answer would be nothing is. They've proven nothing is. But oftentimes that's how the church treats its own people. Eh, you guys are in. We don't think about you anymore. Let's go think about them. That's not what Paul's telling Timothy. Even with the widows, he's saying make sure they've proven it throughout the years that they are part of the fold, that they are kind and compassionate and hospitable. But then he has another limitation in verses 5 and 6 and also verses 11 through 15. He talks about them being young, but also them having a chance to remarry. And Paul gives some warnings here to look out for when it comes to age with widows. He says, for, he, go, he, he says it right out of the bat. If they can remarry, let them do it. Have them do it. Don't hesitate with that. So if they're young, if they, if they can't live without that desire of being married, by all means, go and do that. Paul talks about that with singleness and marriage in other places in Scripture. Go get married. If you're going to be thinking about it, if you're going to be desiring that, by all means, go do that, right? And he continues that here with the widows. If they're younger, have them go get married. But he also warns about something else in the life of widows that can happen and take place. And he says this in verses 13 through 15, and it's the cause of concern of idleness. Look what he says. He says, besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander, for some have already strayed after Satan. What's Paul getting at? He's saying these widows, they don't have a home to manage now. They don't have a husband. And what can happen is their life can become idle, to where they feel they have no purpose and what are they doing? They're just going about what Paul says the concern would be is gossip can creep in, being a busybody, all of this stuff. And he says, if this is you, if this is something you're going to struggle with to avoid this, by all means, just, just go and get married. Go and have children. Go and have a, a home. Now, again, you can see why I don't think we can just specifically take this and put it right on us and apply it because things are a little bit different today. Paul's saying the church must care for those women who have been widowed. They have no help. They're, they're not going to be able to remarry, or at least it's highly unlikely that that's going to take place. And you've got to remember, the women in Paul's time, they didn't have a way to make money. They didn't, have a, they didn't have a way to care for themselves. And so Paul's saying these women, the ones who've been faithful to God, the ones who are hurting right now, you come to the church and the church will help. And this is what you need to do, though. You then will devote yourself to prayer. That's what your life will be. You come and devote yourself to prayer within the church and serving the church. And then the church, in turn, will care for you. It's, it's much like, do you remember uh, in the Christmas story, in Luke chapter 2, verse 36 through 38, there's, there's Anna there in, in the temple as Jesus is being uh, is took to the temple to be shown in the temple. And there's a widow, Anna there. And it says she has been there a very long time devoting herself to prayer. 
said that she was married, her husband died, but then she devoted herself to prayer. That's what Paul is talking about here. That's what he's saying needs to happen here in this church with Timothy. Now, it does seem like in this passage that there was some sort of widow team at the church. It seemed like there was something there uh, of, what, of what Paul is talking about with Timothy, Timothy, who would, the church would provide for them, they would come in, and they would just be devoted and give their life to the church. Now, some of you might be thinking that's called a nun. I don't think that's exactly what's happening here, but it does seem like something was taking place there. And now, this isn't something that we do entirely today, but I don't know if you're aware of this. We still have widows in our church now who, to be honest with you, if they didn't do the work that they did, I don't know if we'd be here this morning. I don't know if we'd be able to keep the doors open. I don't know if as much ministry as we do would really happen. Actually, I know it wouldn't. It wouldn't take place. We today have widows in the church, and they love this church. They pray for you. They pray for you often as a member of the church. They devoted themselves to that. And oftentimes, these widows come in and they serve in any way possible. Whatever it might be. Whatever it might look like. And without them, like I said, the church, it would be hard to keep going. And so I think it's our job as a church to do all we can to care for the widow just as God calls us to do. We need to do that. We need to know if there are widows within our congregation and they don't have the family to help them. They're not able to get a job and to care for themselves at this point in their life or whatever it might be. And we have to then be faithful to serve them. That's one of the reasons why we have deacons. That's what scripture teaches us with the deacons that we've already talked about. They help care for the widows and watch over them and love on them. But I think another thing that we can go back to, and I think this would be the biggest challenge, if we as family cared for the widows in our own family, the church wouldn't be burdened with the financial needs to care for widows all the time. I think too often that's where we see Christians failing is not being willing to sacrifice, you know, moving up the corporate ladder or sacrifice vacations or whatever it might be in order to care for our family members as we should. To love on them as we should. And again, I know that you could come back at me. Pastor Tim, you just don't understand how annoying my mom is right now. Maybe I don't. But I don't see that caveat. I just, I just don't, I don't see it there. Right? We, we love them and care for them because that's what God has called us to do. And so what do we see in this passage? What, I, what, do, we, what's, what do we take away? Well, there's a lot of practical things in there for sure, but what I hope we don't miss is God's great love for his own. I don't want us to miss that. Yeah, God lays down Rules here for the church, but these rules are intended for the purpose for the church to care for itself well. And we see God's love for a group of people who the world has no worth in. <laughs> the, the, the people who the church are to be taking care of here, these widows, they have no worth to our society, and you know that that is not me speaking out of line. They cannot work, they cannot serve, they they cannot do 
anything. And so what good is it to have them around? And so sadly, we ship those people off. That's what we do. Our nursing homes are filled with those people. They have been shipped off. And I dare say, if you talk to those people in the nursing home, you will find out that they have kids and they have grandkids of who they love greatly. And they probably even have pictures of. But sadly, they would say, yeah, that's my grandkid. And I'd say, oh, how old? Looks like he's like six years old. Oh, he's 16 now. I don't have an updated picture. That's horrible. Now, don't get me wrong. There's times that we're going to have to send our loved ones to something like that because uh, we can't handle them medically. Uh, we can't care for them the way that they need to be cared for. We don't have that skill set. Uh, but we can still love them and show them compassion and care And it's great to see how much God loves us that he would lay these things down for us as a church. All over in scripture, we see God's love for the helpless. In Deuteronomy 10.18, it says, He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. We see this in the story of Ruth. The, the horrible story of, of Ruth and with Naomi and their family just dies and they don't have anything. And you have two widows there, one old and one, and one younger. But what do, we, what do we see God do in that story in Ruth? We see God's plan being weaved all throughout that and decisions being made. Some bad decisions and, and some good decisions. And we, we have this woman in in Ruth who really is worthless and not even really a part of the people of God but she comes into the fold of the people of God and how much do we see God's care for her allows her to be in the family line of David who comes the son of man Jesus and the Bible specifically points that out this worthless woman Ruth oh by the way has children which is David down the line a little bit, and then from there, the Son of God who's going to save the world. God's love for the helpless and the law, we see it in Ruth. We see it in Jesus' life as he would so often care for the helpless, the people laying on the side of the road who can't pick their mat up and go. They don't have the possibility to do that. Jesus would stoop down with them or the the woman who's who's, uh, accused of adultery and whatever it might be. And what do we see with Jesus? We see him bending down and caring for her. Not okaying their sin, but loving them and telling them, don't sin anymore. I've saved you and forgiven you of your sin. Jesus' life was a great example of loving the helpless. And then again later in the New Testament in James 1.27, it says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. As the church, we have the privilege of God seeing us in our helpless state, sinners lost with no hope, But yet God pours his grace out in our life and he saves us and in doing so he shows us and reveals to us his loving kindness. And then in another great act of kindness he doesn't just push us aside and say okay I did this for you now kind of leave me alone. No he puts us into his family we're a part of the kingdom of God and then he allows us to actually go and serve and to help the helpless. To be the hands and feet of Christ. 
He allows you and I to do that. And in so doing, we have the privilege of demonstrating to a lost world, this is how much God loves his own. By loving your family. By caring for the orphans and for the widowed. I don't know if you get this sense, but this is something that I can get stuck on. I, if you remember in Ephesians, we talked about, I think it was Ephesians, there was the grace side, and then as we got to chapter four, I'm like, for you doers now, this is the do side, and a lot of you guys are doers, and that's how I like to be. I'm a doer, and I can get stuck on that stuff. Uh, one of the things that Amanda and I got uh, into, and we still kind of are, is the foster care system. I've never been so angry at church people than when I was in the foster care system. Because I, as I learn statistics and stuff, it becomes very evident that all we really need are like 100 Christians, and guess what? No more orphans in Monroe County. That's all we need. It's 100 Christians to step up and do it, and we wouldn't have that problem. Now, I say I can get on my hobby horse, it's because it's not right for me to do that. That's something that God has called me and my family to, and that's good, but there's ministries that you need to be involved in as well. But here this morning, I can get on my hobby horse and look at all of you, just about. Now, some of you might be able to get out of this, but I can look at almost all of you and say this with certainty. You need to take care of your family. You need to love them. You need to care for them. And this is one of the greatest acts of the work of God you can do. You say, Pastor Tim, I just don't know what my calling is. Care for your family. I don't need you to go to Bosnia. I don't need you to go to Russia I don't need you to go to Africa. I don't need you to go and do any of these things to be a faithful Christian. Now, some of you may be called to do that, and that is great, and we want to help you with that. But I can tell you this. All of you this morning are called to love your family. No doubt. You don't have to go home and pray about it. You don't have to come to a counseling session with me about it. I can tell you right now, you must love your family and love them well. Because in so doing, you demonstrate to the world the love of God. See, I have the privilege right now of counseling uh, a couple couples who are they're going to be getting married. And that's one of the things that you tell them in, in marriage counseling. You know, they, they want to come to you and they're like, they th some, some of them think that you're going to fix everything. You're like, you haven't even started. <laughs> you haven't even broke it yet. You're going to soon, but I can't tell you what to fix. I can't do any of that for you. There's no words that I can give you to prepare you for marriage, so that it's just going to be smooth sailing from here on out. It's not going to work. But I have one thing that I can always show them. So if you're coming together as husband and wife in holy matrimony under God as two believers, know this. Your marriage demonstrates to the world the gospel. You can either take that seriously or you cannot take that seriously. Husband, the way you love your wife should show the world how much Christ loved the church. Can you do that? Wives, you are to love your husband as much as the church loves Jesus. Can you do that well? Go do that. In so doing, you share the gospel with the world by demonstrating the love that God has for us. We see that in marriage. But I think what Paul lays out for us here is we also see this in how we handle our family and care for our family. I know for me, this is not an easy task. And I'm sure for you, it isn't either. We all have busy schedules. We all have things that we need to get done. 
we probably all have many family members who could use help. And so I have no doubt in my mind that many of you might be trying, but as I say this, it just as guilt is racking up because you feel, I can do more, I can do more, I can do more. Well, let me help you this morning. Remember this. God loves you, even in the midst of you not doing the best job or in doing the best job. Of course we can get better. Of course we should strive to do better. But we should all walk out of this room in a little bit fully rested in the work of Christ that he's accomplished for us and saved us. You know, this morning you might say, I'm not doing that too well. I would encourage you to go to the Father and to pray and to seek forgiveness and to ask him for strength to do better in that. But I hope that you'll remember that as you seek forgiveness from the Father, guess what? It's there. Forgiveness is there. Forgiveness is granted because he's so good and he's so kind to us. So I don't want you to walk out of here feeling all guilty and all heavy laden. Of course, like I said, I'm a do better guy. I'm horrible at that. Dad, what should I do? Better. You should do better. That's what you should do. Right? Tim, to myself, in the mirror. Tim, what should you do? You could, you could do better. That's what I think all the time. And of course we can do better. But we must find our rest in the accomplished work of Christ, even as we strive to do better. Knowing that it's his kindness that allows us to get to go and even try to do better. So I don't know what this message does for you this morning. I hope for some of you it'll mean phone calls this week to loved ones, maybe visits, uh, maybe coming to church and being a part of the ministry to minister to widows. Maybe you're here today and you're widowed and you need help. Come to us. We'd love to help you. We have a group of widows who meet, what do they meet, like once a month or something like that? Miss Linda, I mean, an awesome group, a fun group. They have a good time together. And those ladies would love to minister to you in any way that they could. So I hope you don't keep going at it alone. That's why we're here. That's why God has brought us together. Well, let's bow together. Let's pray this morning. Allow God to work in your heart. I want to allow you to respond to the word of God however you see fit this morning. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. God, while this can be a passage that's often neglected, that's often pushed aside. God, I pray that you would use it in our hearts and in our lives. I, I hope that we've seen the truth in it this morning. I thank you that you would care so much about us that even those people who the world would look at and say, what good are they? Those are the ones that you've given us these great instructions on to love and to care for them. And so God, help us to do that as a church family. Help us to do that as family members. Help us to love our, our family well. God, I, I'm always so thankful to hear many times in the life of our church of people doing just that, caring for their parents, caring for their grandparents, at times caring for siblings, whatever it might be, aunts or uncles. God, because they know that that's what we do as Christians and it's a privilege to be able to love on our family. And so God, we want to do that well. We want to be light in this in this world, and so help us to be faithful to that. God, I just ask that you would work in our hearts through your word this morning. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that's going to look like in each person's life, but I do trust that you will use your word because you tell us that you, that you do. So God, this morning as we respond to you, help us to do that well. As we sing this last song to you, help us to honor you in our singing, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.